Hey everybody, my name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I hope that you're having a great weekend and whatever's before you, I hope that this is an encouragement to whatever you're running into this week. Uh, I gotta tell you, for me, uh, I'm just, I just love being a dad. And I've got like some, some mile markers in my life that are coming up and one of them is we have a fifth grader uh, he just turned 11, and we already have taken our final tour of his elementary school. Like next year, he'll be in a different building at a different school, and we will no longer have an elementary school kid. And uh, I'm telling you, uh, those elementary visits as a dad, as a parent, uh, even as a kid walking into the school before school starts to get a tour of everything that's going on, to, uh, to, to meet the teacher, the anticipation inside, it is so great. To, to do that locker hunt, to find your desk where you're going to be sitting and to unload all of your school supplies. It is, as a kid, sort of like this, this treat, this, you know, maybe not expecting an exciting school to be great, but you just can't wait to get things going and be back with your friends and to see these new things. You know, and as an adult, maybe you've had a similar experience. Uh, you know, you've gone house hunting, you've moved to a new neighborhood or even to a new city. Like moving into a new home kind of uh, creates some excitement, anticipation, maybe even a little anxiety. I remember when I moved my family here to Des Moines and uh, we had all the questions that, that all of you would have. We had some concerns, we had some like anxieties, but we were so excited. In fact, the, uh, the very month that my family moved here to Iowa, uh, Forbes had put out a list of 100 worst places in the United States to live. And the town we were coming from was number three. It was the third worst place, according to all the stats that they were using. And we moved to Des Moines, Iowa, which time after time after time is rated the number one place to raise a family. It is so good to be here in Iowa. I love it. But we had all kinds of questions stepping in. I mean, we were, we were house hunting. We were neighborhood looking. I mean, we, just like we were looking for lockers and desks as kids, my wife and I, we were looking for neighborhoods and homes and we were grabbing newspapers to kind of figure out what culture was like and grocery flyers to know how much food was gonna be. There was so much touring and hunting, uh, checking out uh, news and, and just trying to figure out what life was gonna be like if we would move here. And then when we got here, we, we visited the church, we visited the city, we took a tour, we got a tour of everything, you know, Des Moines, the suburbs. We, we just were so excited to come to Iowa. We en enjoyed those preview trips and it continued to be exciting and those visits contributed to our excitement and to our hope, the hope that uh, uh, we had for a future here in Des Moines. And in Revelation chapter 21, uh, John, who has just been writing like crazy, he is giving us a tour of heaven as he receives a tour of heaven through this incredible vision. So as John is looking at this vision and he's going to communicate everything that he's seeing the best he can to us, I just want to encourage you to flip your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 21. If you've got your Bible and you don't know where that is, start from the back and move forward. If you've got your YouVersion app, click over there. And if you've got your journal, grab a pen and get ready to take some notes because uh, this 
is an incredible chapter of Scripture as we are winding down our time in Revelation. Here's Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 uh, and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. It's gone. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. You know, the prophet Isaiah, he says nearly the same exact words in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. The entire Bible has been pointing to the fact that God is going to be living with his people uh, in, in an earthly residence. I mean, John is given this vision of seeing this holy city, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And the heavenly Jerusalem, uh, we know, has been this dwelling place of God. By the way, this is also uh, where the departed saints have been and they're going to be until the moment when the new creation and the new heaven, the new earth is, is brought into reality. Uh, this is temporary where all these saints are, but it's necessary because their earthly bodies are gone and their new bodies have not yet been given. You know, when God makes all things new, the new heaven, uh, new bodies, there's this new Jerusalem that will take its permanent place located on this new earth. You know, John, uh, he's just trying to describe it all. Uh, he's mentioning this holy city, and actually he's going to get into it a little more uh, in the last few verses, verses 9 through 27. But right here, like we're getting a glimpse that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, you know this, there's like countless books on the subject of heaven and eternity, our destination as uh, followers of Jesus. And, and a lot of Christians often like anticipate and talk about living with God forever in heaven. But the Bible teaches something richer than that, something deeper than that. The Bible tells us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, an entirely new creation. The old will be gone in this new earth, new heaven. And by the way, our new bodies are going to come with this. Like all believers are going to get to experience this with God. Look at verse 3. John writes, Then I heard a loud voice coming from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. I feel like this is a more profound verse than any of us realize. This single verse is incredible. It's the climax. It's the, the pinnacle, the moment that we've all been waiting for. Not only to be God's people, but to be people with God. And, and I don't want to underestimate the fact that Jesus said, I am with you always. And I'm not underestimating or minimizing the fact that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to live inside believers. But what's different here is this is the moment when we are united. We are face to face and doing life with God. Charles Spurgeon, he's a, an incredible preacher from the 1800s. He said this, I do not think that the glory of Eden lay in its grassy walks or the burrows bending with luscious fruit, but its glory lay in this, that the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of day. And here was Adam's highest privilege, that he had companionship with the Most High. We get a deeper level, a closer proximity of relationship and, and companionship with the Most High. This 
What we see here is the restoration of what was lost in Genesis chapter 3. I mean, we lost the privilege of being in the the presence of God and, and, and experiencing the glory of God this way. And here in Revelation chapter 21, we see what the redeemed future will look like. And then John keeps sharing how great things are going to be in verses 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things, they've all passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And he also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. You know, the new heaven and the new earth, they're going to be free from all of this garbage, from from sin, from evil, from sickness, from suffering, from death. The previous things, they've all passed away. Bills, gone. Anxiety, gone. Depression, gone. Back pain, cancer, cats. It's all going to be gone. If it's a problem in this world, if it is a result of evil and sin, it's going to be gone. And believers, we get to experience this perfection in our new bodies, our new resurrection, these new bodies, and forever and ever. And he says he's making all things new. I don't know if you know this, but Valley Church is part of a, a movement of churches called the Evangelical Free Church of America. We call it the EFCA. And, and we have a statement of faith. There's like these 10 articles. They're so concise. They're theologically rich, and they point to the essentials of our faith, things that we major on. And one of the things that uh, we can read about in our statement of faith is our human response to our eternal destiny. And here's what it says. Here's just article 10. We believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth. To the praise of his glorious grace, amen. Like this isn't like uh, scripture that we worship. This was created from scripture, uh, from truth, from what we see in the text a new heaven, a new earth, and new, perfect, resurrected bodies forever. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly body is different from that of the earthly body. The body I have right now, the one that you're sitting in right now watching this message, is different than the body that God's going to give you in eternity. The splendor of the heavenly body is just different. Some of us are are working so hard on our bodies. Uh, You know, we're we're trying to lose weight or we're trying to look a certain way. We're trying to exercise to get a beach body. By the way, if you're on the beach, your body's on the beach. You got a beach body. Just embrace it. Like we're trying to exercise. We're trying to, you know, hide the scars. Maybe we wish some things about our body were gone or we have wounds that haven't healed. Or maybe our bodies aren't as able as we want them to be. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, she broke her neck while in a diving accident when she was 17 years old. You know, her spinal cord, it was, it was severed and she became paralyzed. Uh, she's an incredible speaker and author today, and she writes in her book, Heaven, Your Real Home, these words. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from my shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, 
bright and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or, or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or, or who has a multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. This, our hope is in Jesus, and Jesus is setting up our home. It's something to get excited about. And then John writes this in verse 6. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. When, when we see this, it is done, it kind of gives a reflection of Jesus on the cross, but the words are different. This isn't the same exact thing. Jesus had finished the work that needed to be done in order to bring salvation to humanity. What, what is being written here is God saying, it is done, but not necessarily it, singular. The things have been done. That's what's literally being said here. All of the things that have needed to come true and to come to pass have come to pass. Everything that I've needed to do has been done. And we get to move forward in a new heaven, in a new earth, in our new bodies. John has given this vision of the day where all these things are done and nothing is out of God's control. He's the creator and he is the finisher. And I'm sure you know what it's like to be thirsty. And then when you get that glass of water, it feels so good, so refreshing, right? That's kind of like what's being said here. To those who turn to God, they're going to be satisfied. There's incredible eternal satisfaction for those who turn to God. But not just satisfaction. Those who turn to God are going to be conquerors. Look at this. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Uh, but the cowards, those are the conquerors, but the cowards, who are the cowards? They're, they're the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and, and all liars. None of them slip under the radar. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The word conquer, it appears many times in the seven letters to the seven churches that we read earlier, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And in order to be a conqueror, God calls those churches to stand up under the pressures of this world. He says things like, don't abandon your first love. Endure under persecution. Repent and stay faithful. Uh, do not tolerate false teaching. Stay alert and avoid temptation. Uh, endure patiently and have a vibrant public faith. This is what it takes to be a conqueror. Those seven churches, just like us, they were, they were directed into what it would take to be overcomers. And those who overcome will become conquerors and co-heirs. But not everybody's an overcomer. There are conquerors, but there's also this list of, of cowardice people. Many people conquer, but, but not by God's standard. You know, John writes that those people are cowards, and, and they're really seeking satisfaction, not salvation. They're trying to find satisfaction on their terms, uh, salvation on their terms, instead of salvation through Christ alone. The overcomer becomes a, a conqueror because they let Jesus fight for them. 
It's not our works that have gotten us into eternity with God forever. It's the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Isn't that such good news to know that in order for us to be conquerors, we need to step aside and let Jesus fight for us? The coward is fighting for themselves, choosing lust and lies and, and a life that's easy and full of momentary pleasures and satisfactions, embracing sin. The coward is seeking satisfaction over salvation. And then Jesus says one day, one day everybody's going to be held accountable for what they do. He says, come out. He's like calling people out. He says, those, those who have done good things, you're going to come out to the resurrection of life. But those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. You know, when we see good things and wicked things, this doesn't mean that Jesus uh, will judge humans based on uh, their good works or their bad works. The Gospel of John, good means believing in Jesus. Bad means following the path of, of evil and rejecting God. You know, our obedience and good works, they actually come from a genuine faith to show evidence of our faith. They're an overflow of our salvation. They don't earn us salvation. Jesus gives us the details of what happens to every person to ever live. You know, it, it's not only those who believe in Christ who will experience a resurrection in their body. Like all people will be raised physically from the dead on the last day. All people. The difference is that Christians are going to be resurrected to life and those who have rejected Christ are going to be resurrected to eternal torment and condemnation. Everybody's going to be on one of those two pathways. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 8, uh, this is like a bridge passage. It's bridging the gap between everything that we learned in chapter 20 and everything that we're going to see here on out for the rest of chapter 21. These, these eight verses are like a conclusion as well as an introduction. And in verses 9 and following, John, he just shifts to trying his best uh, to, to describe this new Jerusalem. It just is, it seems indescribable. And, and here's the words that he gives to us. The one, uh, then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and he spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Verse 10, then uh, carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. He showed me the holy city. We already talked about it, right? But he's showing me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out, from, uh, God, out of heaven from God. You know, John, he sees this vision of this holy city coming down. I love big cities. I'm a big city guy. Like, I love that Des Moines has as many people and has as many things to do as it does. But I went to school in Chicago. I love Chicago. I loved, I could do without the politics and the taxes, but I love the hustle and bustle of a big city. And Chicago is the third largest city in America. It's incredible, like just under 2.7 million people. But while it's number three in the United States, do you realize that Chicago is only 180 uh, on the globe? Like it's kind of down on the list, even though it's huge. And, and here's what I would, would think about. We think Chicago is huge. And we, we then understand that there's 180 cities that are bigger than Chicago. We go, man, we've done a great job as humans building these cities, building these beautiful buildings. Can you now just take a moment and think all of this that we've created, that we've kind of considered trophies as, as human, humans, like the city that God is going to build, like it's going to be incredible. What God is going to build is going to be uh, really kind of unimaginable. What John says and what he sees is communicating something that's going to blow some of our minds. 
He's trying to, to depict everything, every dimension. And, and here's, here, I'm just going to read this to you, uh, verses 11 through 14. Here's what the city looks like. It's arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massively high wall with 12 gates. Twelve angels were at the gates, and the names of the twelve tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gate. And there were three gates at the east, three gates at the north, three gates at the south, three gates at the west. And the city wall, it had twelve foundations. And the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb were on the foundation. Like, this is grand. It's epic. It's beautiful. Literally, by earthly standards, everything that we're reading about is priceless. But by God's standards, all of these jewels and these precious materials are just concrete. It's just, it's just building materials and construction-grade jewels, right? He's in control, and we see this, just this perfection. Here's where we see the perfection, 12 angels. Uh, we see the 12 tribes and the 12 foundations with the 12 apostles' names written on it. Like the number 12 is a perfect, complete number. And when we see the tribes and we see the mention of the apostles, what we see here what is like this old covenant and this new covenant people we see redeemed and united. We go on to read 15 through 21. The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and its width are the same. The measurements of the city with the rod were 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are all equal. Then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to human measurements, which the angel used. The building material of its wall were jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city walls were adorned with every kind of jewel. Then he goes on to list jewel after jewel after jewel after jewel. He lists 12 different priceless jewels, one after another, one for each foundation stone. And the, the 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. And the main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. I just, I don't even know if you were tracking with me. If you could just have closed your eyes and imagined everything that John is saying to us and the, the size of the city, did you notice that it's a perfect cube? Like 12,000 stadia is equivalent to 1,500 miles, like 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles in length, 1,500 miles high. Uh, I, I pulled down a clip from Google Earth and then I measured on Google Earth what would 1,500 miles look like. This, this is what New Jerusalem will be like, like the size. Like this, uh, this is 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles. It covers up over half the Earth or over half the United States. But not only that, it's 1,500 miles tall. Like this incredible structure. And and you know, what's, you know what it looks like? Here, look at this next verse. I didn't see a temple in it. I didn't see a temple in the New Jerusalem because the Lord God, the, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The New Jerusalem, as, as described, it's, it's shaped in the shape of the Holy of Holies that we have seen in Scripture time and time again. 
In essence, this new Jerusalem functions as the Holy of Holies, a massive holy place. There's no need for a Holy of Holies. There's no need to go behind the curtain. There's no need for a separate space to meet with God because we will be meeting with God every day. Uh, we will be with him. He will be with us. We are his people. And then, and then John alludes to this verse, uh, you know, way back in chapter three when he says God's dwelling is with humanity. Like we get to be in relation. There's no hiding there's no special place. This whole place is special. Look at verses 23 through 26. The city, it doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and, and its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light and, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will, they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations to it. Like this is an extension of something that I think that humanity has been trying to figure out for such a long time. Like all the nations. You see the kings. That doesn't mean that they're, they're like so precious and royal that we need to... No, stop. Like... This is a picture of all the nations coming together. This is a picture of the nations being represented. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. It's a perfect mixture of every ethnicity. It, it means that we're not going to be the same. We're not identical, you know, spirits or new bodies. Like there is diversity. There is beauty in its diversity. And, and even though there's so much diversity, there's perfect unity that will last for eternity. And before... Before John wrote Revelation, he was the author of the Gospel of John. And, and throughout the Gospel of John, he, he kind of plays with the word light. Light carries a, a significant meaning where night, it represents sin, and light represents God, his glory, and revealing truth to the world. And there's never going to be night. Just like this passage says, there's never going to be night. It's just the pure light of the glory of the Lord. Verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Like, what a gift. What, what like, uh, security over, uh, over our hope. Like, it just locks our hope of knowing that we can have this eternal home if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Absolute purity and perfection. You know, on the cross, Jesus said to the, the thief who submitted to him, Today, you will be with me in paradise. This is a picture of paradise. But it's only for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus, the Lamb, he, he's taking note of those who come to him for forgiveness. And, and those who, who live life genuinely as if they're forgiven. You know, there's, there's so many great things to look forward to, so many things that we could pour over in Revelation 21, so many things that maybe we didn't know were going to be there that now we know are there. But I want to tell you this. If you're a note-taker, you might want to jot a few things down because I'm actually going to talk about a few things that are missing from heaven because there are some things that are missing. Things that maybe as you were reading, you didn't notice or some things you're kind of like, oh, that's interesting that that's not there. But I think heaven's missing a few things and we want to we want to just look at this, okay? So I see more than a dozen things. Uh, if you don't get them all, it's all right. I'm going to put the verses up and we're just going to kind of travel through it. Look at, look at verse one. 
when we read verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, they've passed away. So we've got the first heaven and uh, the first earth, they, they've passed away. Also, we see that the sea is no more. Like these things, they're going to be gone. You know, we need to set aside our earthly expectations of what we think the new heaven and the new earth are going to be. You know, I really hope these things are here. You know what? It's going to be new. It's going to be better. Uh, everything that's going to happen, uh, while probably for us unimaginable without the help of John, uh, it's, it's going to be incredible. I, I promise you this, it's going to be more glorious than any of us can imagine. And there are clues in the text as to the things that uh, will be there, that there will certainly be things there that we would never have seen before. Because let me just give you one. Like, I've seen glass. I know what glass is. You know what glass is, right? And, and gold, we know what gold is. You know, my ring is gold. My wife gave this to me for, for when we got married. Like, I've seen glass. I've seen gold. But I have no idea what streets of gold will be as transparent as glass. The gold's going to be transparent. Like, there's going to be so many things that, that we won't even know or understand. And the sea, the sea is going to be gone. I don't know if that means there's going to be no water in the new heaven and the new earth, but here's what I do know. Throughout Scripture, uh, we see that the sea is not a tranquil place of comfort. Throughout Scripture, the sea is symbolic of evil. Uh, we see in Psalm 89, verse 9, that the sea has no peace. It's raging and it's restless. Now we see in Revelation chapter 13, 1, that the sea was the, the source of the beast. Revelation chapter 20 and Ezekiel 28, we see that the sea is the place of the dead. And when it says there's no more sea, really what is being said is there is no more sin, there's no more evil, there's no more death, there's no more darkness. And then uh, in verses 4 and 5, he's going to wipe away every single tear from our eye. Look at this. Uh, there will be no death. There will be no grief, crying. There will be no pain. Like it's going to be no more. And you know what else is going to be gone? The previous things. Like let's just throw out a big giant blanket of everything that is not good. You know, death. Heaven, heaven is going to be so much more amazing than any of us can imagine. And we get to live there forever. There is no end. There is no dying. There is no ending. Our new bodies in this new heaven and this new earth are going to live forever with God in his presence. There's no more grief. You know, heaven is going to be filled with God's glory and God's people. That means that there's going to be no broken hearts. There's going to be no rejection. There'll be no loneliness, no disappointment, no misfortune, no remorse, no regret. Crying's going to be gone. There's no more crying he says, I'm going to wipe every tear from your eye. That means that there's no sadness. There's no despair. There's no heartache. Pain. Pain will be no more. You won't cry because there won't be any pain. Uh, no physical ache. No heartache. Your feet won't be sore. Your headaches are going to be gone. No splinters. No bee stings. I can imagine, can I just tell you, I imagine a couple of middle schoolers off in a corner somewhere just slapping each other in the face, giggling. They're like, that didn't hurt. And they just keep slapping each other because there's no more pain. And middle schoolers are hilarious. It's just, it's just gone from heaven. And what else? The previous things. The previous things are gone. Meaning that, that everything that is corrupt, 
Everything that was corrupted by the fall in Genesis chapter 3, it's going to be gone. It's going to be no more. Those previous things, they've passed away. This is all truly new. And then look at verse 6. Verse 6. We see that uh, uh, he's going to give freely. I love this. He's going to give freely to the thirsty. That means every single one of your needs are going to be met. Every single need you have will be satisfied. Now, don't confuse that with the things that you now want and hope that it's there then. Uh, We're going to be satisfied. Every single thing that is required for us to enjoy uh, this new life and our new bodies and this new heaven and new earth, it's going to be uh, satisfied. And then in verses 7 and 8, there's really just one thing in here, even though it's a list of things. The cowards. Now, there's a broad definition of these cowards. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see that faithless, detestable murder run alongside of somebody who just lies. Uh, The commonality here is all sin separates us from God, and these cowards will not be in heaven Uh, the corrupt, you know, anything that his sin is not going to be present. It's going to be gone. All sin is going to be gone. There will be no sinners in eternity. Verse 22, uh, oh, uh, I did not see a temple in it. I didn't see, what? A temple. I didn't see, the the temple's going to be missing. You know, there's going to be no need for a temple. We don't need a a special place to meet with God because because God will be with us. He's going to be walking with us. We're going to enjoy his glory, enjoying unity with him and and his people for eternity. We will be in community with others and we'll be in community with God forever. And verse 23, look at this. This one, this one uh, is kind of interesting because I can't imagine life without a a sun and a moon. What's life going to be like? God's glory is going to radiate in the city. There's no no need for a sun or the moon. There's not going to be any darkness. So you can just grab your sunscreen. You can grab your under-the-chin, like, reflective mirror thing. Do do people still use that? You You can grab your beach blanket or your Tommy Bahama backpack chair, a small stereo, and when people say, where are you going? You can say, devotions. I'm going to go do some devotions and spend some time with the Lord because there's no sun. It's just his bright, shining radiance all over everywhere. The the sun and the moon, they're going to be gone. And in verse uh, verse 25, verse 25 is awesome. Uh, The gates will never, ever be closed. And you can't really see, like, what's not there? Well, you know, since they're never going to be closed, we're not going to need any locks. There's going to be no locks in heaven. Have you ever frantically driven to a store knowing that you're cutting it so close and when you got to the store, it was already closed? Like, that just drives me nuts. I'm an Ohio boy. I was born in Ohio, lived so many years in Ohio, and the town I lived in was right on the border of Ohio and Indiana, and there was a time difference, an hour time difference. In Ohio, 
everything was an hour ahead. So if we wanted to go to the mall, it was a 45 minute drive and we would get in our car and we would haul it to Indiana because we wanted to get to the store before it closed. That was so weird. As an adult now, I just think amazon.com is what I'm gonna do. But we would hustle because the doors were gonna close. I'm telling you, not just a few years ago, I was trying to get to the bookstore to buy some books. I went in, I'm not even gonna mention the store because this drives me so nuts. And I get there, eight minutes before they close and the manager was out front. He was out front eight minutes and he said, I'm not allowed to come in because they're closed. I'm like, no, it's got, you got eight minutes. He's like, well, you're not coming in. I'm like, I just need to get, I know what book I want. I know the exact book I want. And he looked at me and he goes, well, we'll be open tomorrow. So I never went back to that store ever again. And here, we don't need locks. We don't, we don't need security. Nothing is ever gonna be, the doors aren't gonna be closed. The gates are gonna be open from all sides forever. It's, it's eternity, it's heaven. It is its own security. In verse 27, look at verse 27. Nothing, nothing unclean will enter it. Isn't that amazing? Like moms, dads, I think that means there's no dirty laundry ever, ever. Like there's nothing unclean. Sin is not gonna step in. There's no tolerance for sin. Uh, that's why you and I need Jesus because ultimately, like right now, like there is some grace and some mercy being poured out on humanity, but ultimately sin will not be tolerated. Without Jesus, uh, there is no new heaven. There is no new earth. There is no new body. We need Jesus to step in so that he can wipe out our sin. There, I don't know. I think maybe, like, I don't know. I just got to tell you, I don't know. There's like one more thing. And maybe if you're taking notes, you just maybe put a question mark because, because I don't know if this last thing is left out. But only those whose names are written in the book of life will get in. So I don't know if your name's on the list or not. My, my hope is that you're in. My hope is that you are not missing from heaven and this new earth and a new resurrected body in glory for eternity. But if your name's not in the book of life, you're going to be missing from heaven. You know, there is such a, a clear, concise way to experience forgiveness from Jesus and to experience eternity in God's glory. And I'm just going to share a few verses with you. Uh, this is true for all of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us falls short. We don't measure up. We're not good enough. We can't figure it out. Like we try, but we just fall short. We fall short every time. And because of sin and because we fall short, here's our reward. The wages of the sin in our life is death. But the good news is that there's a gift, a gift of God. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Jesus paid the price on the cross for the sin that you and I owe. And the gift is that he's willing to step in and pay that price. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 uh, says, if you are ready for this, if you give your life to Jesus, if you accept that free gift, anyone who is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Like, what can happen for you if you're not yet following Jesus is a picture of what will happen in eternity. The old is gone and the new has come. We, we, we don't 
become burdened with our past. We learn from our past here on earth, but we move forward with Christ. We're new. We're new creations. We, we repent, we confess, we walk away from that sin, and we start walking alive with Jesus. And if you're kind of like, you know, I need that. I want that. I'm ready for that. Romans 10.9 tells you how to reach for that. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's an outward confession of an inward condition. If you're ready to say, Jesus, I want you to step in. Jesus, I believe that you defeated sin and death through the resurrection. Jesus, I need you and I need to walk with you. Then I would just tell you right now, right where you are, you can just tell God, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is who he says he is, and I believe in the resurrection. And right now I commit my life to you, Jesus. Now we didn't do a prayer, but there's not like magic in a prayer. There's salvation and forgiveness in repentance and confession. And if you confess that you need him, you confess that there is the resurrection, you confess that, that you're committing your life to him, the gift of salvation is yours. The old is gone today, and the new has come. Romans 8.1, I love this. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not part of the cowards anymore. You're part of the conquerors. You're an overcomer as you let Jesus step in and fight for you. Those of you watching, I hope you're letting him fight for you. I hope that out of all the things that are missing from heaven, your name is not missing, but it is actually on the list in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your encouragement. Thanks for your word. Thanks for continuing to, to pursue us, even though sometimes we walk and run away from you. You're still chasing us. God, grow us. Encourage us. Help us be more like you and help us spread the news of all the goodness that you offer to a lost and hurting world. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people agreed and said amen. Hey, if you prayed to receive Jesus today, I want to celebrate with you. I want to encourage you. I'm so excited. Could you just send, would you send an email to pray at valley.church and just say, I gave my life to Jesus today. And uh, I'll be praying for you, all right? Love you. Have a great week.